Good evening. I want to begin by reminding everyone uh, of the Braves and Six Flags trip. Uh, this is for any age. This will be July the 4th through the 6th. Uh, and if you would like to go, uh, you are asked to please sign up by June the 16th. So uh, that's coming up uh, in a few weeks. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please, please uh, sign up on the sign-up list. And uh, so tickets can be purchased and uh, plans can be made for that. And we thank you for that. Uh, Bradley mentioned about the door hangers, and I don't know if you picked one up, but these are very, very nice and attractive. So, Bradley, thank you for working on that, and uh, we thank all of those who have worked on preparing, and there's going to be more jobs uh, that will be needed and more people to fill those jobs. So uh, be thinking about that and ways that you can help. But uh, the first thing we can do is we can invite people. And so if you've not picked up one of these, uh, these are uh, very, very attractive and has all the information on there about our Vacation Bible School and about uh, our meeting times and things like that. So uh, please pass those uh, to your neighbors, and uh, I know that they will appreciate that, and uh, they will anticipate coming for our vacation Bible school. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a very familiar passage to us, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What I wanted to do tonight, because a lot of times uh, we, we go off to camp and we really don't uh, know what all takes place, and so uh, I tried to take notes during the week uh, or either follow up with uh, those individuals who spoke uh, either in chapel or uh, at the nightly um, worship times, devotional times, uh, to get their passages of Scripture that they looked at. And so I just wanted to share with you some of the things that we talked about at camp so that uh, hopefully it might encourage you to think about going to camp or encourage others to, to go to camp, but to kind of let you know a little bit about what we studied in addition to all the fun things that took place. Uh, we always receive a camp book. Um, Dale Jenkins uh, pretty much, I think, most every year writes uh, in the camp book, the lessons. And so the first, there's two Bible classes every day and a chapel. This is every morning. Uh, and so each young person, uh, an adult, uh, is in a Bible class, uh, also a chapel time, uh, and then a second Bible class. And in everyone's first Bible class, uh, the camp book this year was on the uh, God's plan of salvation. And so we spent a, time, a lot of time talking about uh, God's plan of salvation in the first Bible classes. But in the other times, we talked about practicing everyday Christian living. On Sunday night, Bill Wade, one of the directors, uh, set that off for us in, in talking about letting go of the past. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to turn to a number of passages, and so I want to encourage you to have your fingers ready to walk through the pages of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, and I want you to begin, I want us to begin looking in verse number 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Not, a, not that I have already obtained... Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehend, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. 
And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And so one of the things Bill did is um, in the pavilion area where we all met, uh, there's poles. And so he tied a rope to one pole while he's walking around talking. And he tied the under, other end of that rope to his leg. And so he's walking around talking about forgetting those things in the past. And the point he's trying to make is he cannot go any farther than that rope would allow him to go. No farther than the distance that he could go uh, because it was tied to that pole and he couldn't go any farther. And the point he wanted to make is uh, to move forward in our Christian walk. We have to lay those things aside from our past. Maybe you have a dark past. Maybe you've not uh, made a huge uh, bunch of mistakes, but maybe you've made some mistakes and those mistakes keep creeping in and Satan uses those to tell us how bad we are or how unworthy we are. And Bill's point was you have to lay that stuff aside and he took that rope off and when he did that, he was able to move anywhere he wanted to around the pavilion or around that speaking area to say, listen, lay that aside so we can move forward. The Hebrew writer would say it this way in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage of Scripture came up in our Bible class as well, and I mentioned something to the 11-year-old boys that were in my Bible class, as well as the chapel day that I spoke to the teenagers. And I told them that the, what I, something that, that bothered me during the week, uh, finding out things, and, and I wanted them to know, you know, life is tough. Hello, wake up call, life is tough. The Hebrew writer says, life is like a race. If you've ever played athletics or been a part of athletics, whatever it might be, we know it's tough. There's training, there's discipline, there's hard work that goes into uh, this, this sporting event. And Paul says it's like a race, and it's not easy. You have to work for certain things, and you have to be disciplined. And it's hard. And injuries come up and things set us back and it's hard. And sometimes it's hard to deal with the things and the obstacles in that race and in life. And Satan will use everything he can. He will use people. He, he will try to encourage us. And I wanted these young people to know this as well. He will try to encourage us to ease those problems or to ease through those problems uh, with numbness from substance abuse, uh, sexual activity, all kinds of things like that so we can forget the problems that lie before us. And the Hebrew writer says, listen, what you do is, yeah, you might have made some mistakes, you lay those aside and you keep pushing on. Because there's going to come other obstacles and we have to know how to overcome those obstacles. And the Hebrew writer says the way you do that is you focus on 
Jesus. He never said it's going to be easy. He never said life would be easy. But He said through that race of life, through those obstacles, focus on Jesus, who Himself endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our goal, just like in the race, there's a goal. There's a finish line. In the game, in the game there's, there's an end. We want to win. And in the, in the race of life, our goal is heaven. And we, focus, we get there by focusing on Jesus. On Monday, we talked about humility. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, go ahead and hold your finger there and we'll jump over to John chapter 1 after that. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Mark chapter 1, John chapter 1, some similar things here. In uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in, in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now we get in the picture. There's this large crowd following John. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to, to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now turn over to John chapter 1. And so while you're turning there, we get this picture that John has this big crowd following him. A lot of people following him as John is baptizing and as he's preparing the way of the Lord. That was what he was called to do. And as he was telling them to repent. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, John had this huge following. And they came to listen to him preach. And they came to be baptized by him. But John declared, but there's one coming that's greater than me. I mean, you imagine, John has this great following. 
And he could have taken advantage of that and just allowed that following to, to grow and, and he could grow in how he felt about himself. But he didn't do that. He humbled himself and he declared what he was called to do to speak of the one who would come after him. Have you ever been unfollowed before? On social media? Doesn't necessarily feel good, does it? Maybe when somebody's been following you and all of a sudden they unfollow you. Well, John chapter 3, there was an occasion like that where there arose this dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about what Jesus was doing. And John never was concerned about those following him. You see, he continued to be humble and point the way to Jesus. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John reminds those his followers and he shows them his humility. And he says, listen, it's not about me baptizing. It's not about Christ baptizing, but it is about Christ. Because He's greater than me. And the reality is, I, He must increase and I must decrease, and I know that. And He was humble enough to accept what His position was, what He was called to do. But notice verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, Matt Cook did an interesting thing that night he spoke. He had people, um, he asked people, All right, who's, who's good at basketball? Uh, of course, Nero, nobody, they were being humble. Nobody was wanting to raise their hand. And who's good at this and who's good at that? And so he had the athlete. He had those who were smart, those who could do this and those who could do that. And he told them, listen, here, here's, what, here's what John is saying uh, about humility. Humility realizes that a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from above. And this is what Matt said to them. He said, what talents you are given, they are given to you by God to use for God. You see, in America, maybe even the world, we get it all wrong, don't we? 
The world tells people, listen, you try to to, uh, strengthen your talents to be the best you can be for you. So you can make the most money that you can make. So that you can be as popular as you can be. And so that you can be all you can be. And John, in humility, said, no, America, world, that's not it. What you are given, you have been given by God to use for God. What an opportunity and what a responsibility. Dustin also spoke that day in chapel. And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And that was the, one of the passages that, uh, that Dustin took us to. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to look at verses 5 through 11. Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in humility." of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Himself humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of the death, of death, even the death of the cross. And then we think about in John chapter 13, Jesus exemplified the ultimate act of humility. When he took on the form of a servant, he did what a servant would do in that culture. And he went over and he grabbed a, a towel wrapped around its waist and he grabbed a basin of water and he went around to each of those apostles and he washed their dirty feet. And he said, I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to follow this example of humbling yourselves and being willing to serve others. And Dustin closed his part out by saying the thing that he starts our, all our trips out. You know, sometimes we either we get so used to saying it or we kind of feel awkward in saying it because he'll always make us repeat it. Let's do that. Let's do that tonight. Dustin always makes everybody else do it. Let's us do it tonight so that you can experience that and be challenged by that thought. Repeat after me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. And see, when we humble ourselves and realize that, as we mentioned this morning, our relationships will be better in our homes, in our churches, in our community, our schools, in our workplaces, when we humble ourselves before God. And then we talked about being kind to others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Do we look for the opportunity to be kind to others? To serve others? Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us, that in Christ we are new and we have put off the old man and his ways. Therefore, he says, be kind to others and treat them as Christ would. 
During the evening talk, Matt Cook had different people stand up in front of the group holding signs with terms like nice, mean, popular, not popular, rich, and poor. And he talked to the young people and the adults. He talked to, uh, to us about how, you know, to some of these it's, it's a lot easier to be nice to. But then to others, it's, it's more difficult to be nice or kind to. You see, the world is kind to the ones it's easy to be kind to and, and are not kind to the ones it's difficult to be kind to. But because of Jesus Christ, we are, call, we are called to be kind to all. Now, he, he did something really neat. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And he asked the question most nights, why? Why be kind to others? And he turned back to the Old Testament passage of Leviticus 19. And look at what the Bible says. Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Be kind to your parents. Why? Because I'm the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molten gods. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. And he goes down to verse 10, And you shall not glean your vineyards, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, nor shall you leave, or you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. You know, when, when we're gathering up, when a farmer's gathering up crops, we, we want to get it all, right? So we can use it or sell it or things like that. Well, in that day and time, they were required to leave the corners of their field for the rich or, the, for, the ri- or for the poor, for those that were in need. Let them come and have from that. Why? I am the Lord your God. You should not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. You should not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear God. Why? I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. You shall not go about as a tail-bearer tail uh, tail among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I, but why? Because I am the Lord your God. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord you're God. That's why. That's why we do those things. That's why we're kind. On Wednesday, we talked about saying Christian things. You've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I understand what that was meant to do for us. But ask yourself this question. Is that really true? Well, we know the answer to that. The reality is, no, words do hurt, Right? Turn to James chapter 3. Words truly do hurt. 
And James wrote about that. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. James here gives us a picture of the power of our words. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn the whole, their whole body with a small bit. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest uh, a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird uh, and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We must be careful how we use our words. Landon Olson, who's a student or who graduated from Faulkner University, said there was a teacher there who said, Preach a sermon every day, and if necessary, use words. On Wednesday night, Ryan Gallagher talked about moving forward. You see, we have to let go of the past. And we have to practice some of these other things so that we can move forward. He looked at Acts chapter 9. Also from Luke chapter 15, he asked the question, how did we get to this point? How do we get to this point where maybe we're stuck in the present or stuck in the past? You see, Saul in verses 1 through 3, Saul walked according to his own way. That's not what God wanted him to do. And then in verses 14 through 15, Saul was confronted with reality. And then in the last part of the chapter, Saul changed his path. Saul realized where he was because for him, speaking to Jesus. And then he realizes where the direction that he needed to go. And he began to move forward. You see, if you recognize you were going the wrong direction, the story of Paul would remind us, or Saul changed to Paul, would remind us to change immediately. And then on Thursday, we talked about forgiving. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, Jesus there, hanging on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, the term forgives means to let go. Let go of that thing that, that has hurt you. Let go of that wrong. In Matthew chapter 18, you remember, Peter, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being generous. And Jesus said, no, I say to you, 70 times seven. And then he proceeded to tell him a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so he called this one servant who owed him uh, a lot of money. 
And he said, pay me what you owe me. If you can't, then I'll throw you in jail with your wife and your kids. You'll be sold until the payment is repaid. And the servant, he fell down on his face and he said, please, please just be patient with me and I'll, I'll pay you everything. And the king, he had compassion and he said, listen, I'll forgive you your debt. In the text it says, forgive. I'll let it go. You owe nothing. That servant leaves and he goes and he finds a servant that owes him money, like a hundred denarii. A, a, a significantly smaller amount of money. And he says, pay me everything you owe me. If not, then I'll throw you in jail. And so he throws him in jail until he can repay. Well, the other servants, they hear. And they go and they tell the king. And the king comes back and he says, did I not let go, forgive you of your debt? And you haven't done the same to others? In verse 35, he says, Jesus says, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Forgiveness is important, isn't it? What happens when we don't forgive? Uh, James chapter 3, look at verses 13 and following. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. What happens when we don't forgive? We become bitter. We become envious. We become hateful. James would say, listen, bitterness, envy, selfishness, these things are not from above, but they are demonic. I love Star Wars. And a quote from Master Yoda goes like this. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And the dark side leads down a path you don't want to go, he tried to tell young Anakin. And so it is with us. When we do not forgive, that bitterness and that anger and that hatred toward that person can also lead us to the dark side of sin. Leonardo da Vinci, who painted the famous painting, The Last Supper, During that time when he was painting, he had a uh, fellow painter that became his enemy because they had a falling out. They had a dispute. And so Da Vinci decided, listen, I know what I'll do. I'll teach him. Listen, I, I'm going to put his face on the face of Judas. So everybody will know what kind of character he is. How awful this guy is. And so he painted the guy's face up there. And he went along and he started painting the other apostles. And during that, he tried to go back and paint Jesus' face, but he just couldn't do it. Something was wrong. He couldn't finish it. And then he realized what he must do. He went to his enemy, the other painter. And he made things right and he forgave him. And it was only then that he could go back and paint the face of Jesus. You see, we have to submit these things to God. We have to turn them over to God and let them go. 
Pat Cook said, When someone has wronged you, instead of hatred, resentment, bitterness, and ill will, replace it with positive things like love and peace and patience and kindness. And then he said, don't just replace them with positive emotions, but replace them with Christ-like emotions. He says it doesn't necessarily mean that we forget it. But forgiveness says, even though you did that to me and hurt me, I forgive you. I let it go. I do so with the Christ-like emotions. Why? Because that's exactly what God did for us. Ephesians 4 and verse 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If I want to be forgiven, then I must forgive as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking about praying, says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And he asks the question, is there someone in your life that you are holding a grudge with and wish ill on them? He said, that's not Christ-like. Forgive them. Let it go. Extend Christ-like love, patience, kindness, and goodness to them. And then on Friday, finally, we talked about quit talking about change. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul deals with this somewhat. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ." You see, so often we, we, we hear lessons and we hear things and we hear songs and we say, you know, I, I need to be more like that. I need to do that. You know, I, I, I should stop doing this and start doing this or stop going that way and go that way. And the purpose of that lesson that day was stop talking about it and change. Many times we struggle with changing because, Matt Cook says, our view of God is when we mess up, God is so mad at us. Remember Peter? When Peter followed Jesus at a distance when he was being led to, um, to be put on trial and later crucified, Peter followed him at a distance. Jesus already told him, you're going to deny me three times. And so as he's warming himself by the fire, hey, aren't you one of his followers? No, I'm not one of his followers. Hey, I saw you with no, I don't know the man. And then the third time, he uses strong language. It says he cursed and said, I do not know the man. That meant I deny him so strongly that I am calling a curse down from heaven on me if I know the man. But you see, Peter comes back. But how does he come back? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
the Lord had prayed for Peter. You see, God is not out to get us. And how do we know God is not out to get us? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. You see, it's easy to talk about change, but it's another thing to do it. Maybe it's time to stop talking about change and change if we need to. Make a conscious effort to give it to God, ask Him for help, and change. Everyday Christian living. It's important. And it's something we should practice. When the wife of a missionary told him that a newspaper article likened him to some of the apostles, he replied, I do not want to be like a Paul or any mere man. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow Him only, copy His teachings, drink in His Spirit, and place my feet in His footprints. Oh, to be more like Christ. On a wall near a main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following inscription, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that, so that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. No literal portrait of Jesus exists either, but the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of His true followers. Why is it important to practice Christ-like living every day? Because that gives people in the world and people around us a portrait of who Christ really is. Tonight, if you're here and you've not given your, your life to the Lord, we pray that you will come in humble submission, giving your life back to Jesus, being buried with Him because you believe in Him, because you want to turn from your sins in that watery grave of baptism to rise in newness of life going on your way rejoicing. Because now you can give a Christ-like portrait to those around you. Maybe you're here tonight and like we had those this morning. And you know, things have been heavy on your heart and you just want to share that with your church family and say, will you pray with me? Will you lift me up to God? We'll do so tonight. If you have a need to respond, we ask that you will come forward as together we stand and sing. Stop.